First of all, Mayans, you guys are amazing. Thank you for rolling up the punches with uh, coming to this room instead of on your hon hall. And so, thank you. Round of applause to you guys. All right, let's go straight into the message, okay? All right, uh, before that, um, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us, God. And I just pray tonight that we'll have a deeper revelation of your love for us, God. That we will know, Father, just why we're even here. Yeah, God, we love you. We thank you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's begin. Okay. I want you guys to imagine something, okay? Imagine a woman in labor, okay? Don't get too descriptive, like, don't imagine too much, but a woman's in labor, okay? And the baby comes out. And immediately the baby comes out, and then it looks straight at the mom, right? So you know how, like, the baby, they come out down, right? And they come out, and then the mom just, like, they can't even open their eyes. They're, like, the most, like, deformed. They're not the prettiest when they come out, right? But they come out, and this baby looks straight at his mother and says, Mom, what can I do to make you love me more? What can I do to make you love me more? Mom, I came out of your womb just now. What can I do to make you love me more than you love me right now? Think about that. Does that make sense? The baby comes out right away. Mom, what can I do to love you, make you love me more? That makes no sense at all. It's not supposed to be this serious, okay? It's, it's, it's a really like absurd kind of picture, right? But you know, for so many of us Christians, right when we're saved, immediately think you go straight into function. God, what can I do to make you love me more? How can I please you? How can I live my life for you? Immediately you come out and you say you you become a Christian, and instead of like giving time for God to love you, immediately you're like, God, how can I serve your kingdom and, and expand your kingdom? I, you're calling me to be a fisher of men. How can I go and let people know you more? Do you think God's looking at you and be like, that's my, yes, that's, that's my child, yeah, yeah, that's my child. Oh, uh, no. Immediately, if you think about it, God is God, right? We know God as our creator. God created you, right? But the creator is not um, creating, a, being a creator. He didn't create something that was already there. He created something that was not there, right? But a lot of times we, we make him seem like he's somebody that creates things, right? So like when people create things, they create inventions. They create, you know, artwork. They create different pieces and they're, they're things. They're things that you make and to make, you know, your name known and all these things, right? But then for God, he created you out of nothing. But he created you. Honestly, he didn't have to create you, right? But he created you simply because he loved you. Simply because he loved you. And when you think of Adam, right? Adam was created not to do anything. Adam was created because God wanted fellowship with Adam. God wanted to love Adam. Right? And in the book of Luke, it says exactly that Adam was a son. A son. And a son is not someone that 
does things in order to make their father pleased. But a son, is, they just know simply who they are as a son. A son receives the inheritance. They are loved. But for so many of us as Christians, we fail to recognize the father's true love for us. Today's passage is from Ephesians 1, 5 through 6. It's this. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. So the title of my message tonight is Created to be Loved. It says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. God loved us so much that he knew he knew before we were even born that he would have that he knew even before we were born that he wanted to adopt us but not only that he knew that he had to give up his son his one and only son to die for us because he loved us that's does that can, can you guys grasp that yeah I know it's it's not hard here let's breathe Breathe. Okay, it's really, really hot in here. But think about it. God loved you so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross for your sins. God loves you. Follow me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. I'll say it again, but it's almost becomes a rap, and I don't know how to rap. So, uh, but you know what? I'm sure many of you guys actually heard this. For me, like, it's so simple. At Sunday school, you hear God loves you all the time from, at, you know, at church, from people, your friends, you know. Or, you know, for some of you guys that just became Christians, you might have heard this from a random, like, a Christian person evangelizing to you on the street and says, you know what? God loves you. But you don't even know what that means because society has totally watered down this powerful phrase of God loving you. God loves you. God loves you. You know, and for me, I don't know about you, but at church, I was surrounded by people who knew that God loved them. Christians know that God God loves us. I'm a Christian too. (laughs) I know God loves me, right? But for the longest time, I didn't know the true meaning behind this love. Okay? And so what happened was, the leaders that surrounded me, Everybody that surrounded me, they did everything. You know, they served at Sunday school. You know, they went out and they told, you know, people about Jesus. You know, they, they, for me, they always gave me rides, right? Um, They preached the good news. They talked about Jesus, all these things. However, you know what? Unfortunately, so many of my leaders left the church because they were drained. So many of my leaders said, hey, you know what? I need a rest. So they just left. That boggles my mind. Shouldn't it be like where when you live for Christ, you should have life everlasting? When you live for God, you should be filled with overflowing joy. When you live for God, you should have peace. Yet so many people in the church actually are drained? That makes no sense. That boggles my mind. You know, but for me as well, for the longest time, I was so focused on being a good Christian. So every message that I heard was what to do and what not to do. What to do, 
you know, dress modestly, <laughs> be nice to people, don't do drugs, don't, don't drink alcohol, um, stay pure, stay pure, stay pure. Uh, all these things, what, what to do, and then what not to do is, don't, oh, I already said what not to do, right? Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, so for my whole life, like, I hear, I hear messages over and over again about what to do and what not to do. How to live a good Christian life. How to please God, how to make Him happy. Right? And, you know what? Honestly, for me, I got exhausted. But, because I was filled with so much fear... I, I decided just to live that nice, Christian, good, goody-two-shoe life. Because I didn't want to fail anyone. I didn't want to disappoint my parents, right? So I decided to live that goody-two-shoe life. However, I had some friends that decided, you know what? This is too much for me. Um, this Christian thing is too much for me. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. What, if it's this hard to please God, why do it anyways? Why do it anyways? If it's this hard, if I have to do this many things to please God... And to let him love me, why do it anyways? So they just leave the Christian, they just leave. They just say, you know what, I'm an atheist now. Or I'm an agnostic. And some, you know what, they do a lot of, you know, the worldly things, quote-unquote worldly things, you know, worldly-worldly. But at the same time, they're like, you know, but I can't come to church anymore. Because I did so many worldly things. I have to figure out my life before I come to church. I have to figure out my life. Before I come to church and let God love me. So many people think that that's why they don't come to church. But people, brothers and sisters, the church is not a place of perfect people. The church is not a place of people that have it all together. The church is a place where people come, the broken, the lost, the hurt. They come to church to receive freedom. If you see every single staff and student leader in this place, do you think that we started at a perfect place? Uh Heck no! Right? For me, I might have not done anything. And you know, I'm proud to say I didn't do anything. I have no... Because actually there was a part of me that was so almost quote-unquote shameful that I didn't do anything. That sounds so ironic, right? But because I lived such a Christian, Christian life... I felt I had no influence, nobody looked up to me, uh, I didn't even really, people didn't even want to become Christians when they were surrounding me. They just actually felt almost, uh, they felt condemned. They're like, oh, Tina's too pure, can't taint her. So then they like, just leave me. They leave me, and through that I felt mad rejection, I felt like I was the most boring person in the world, and all these things, but in reality, that's not the truth. And the enemy was there to steal my, like who I was, right? By saying you're boring and you have no say in life. Because <laughs> I was really, really quiet. So I was, you know, someone asked me if um, if I didn't, if I wasn't truly set free, what would I have been doing right now? If I didn't truly meet Jesus and truly been freed by Jesus, I was like, you know what, I probably would be like in a corner crying, thinking that I suck. But obviously I'm standing right here and I know I don't suck. That's, that's a, okay, don't say that word, you know what, it sounds really ugly. But, <laughs> but I, I know that I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. All those identities, they're there. However, you cannot know your identity before knowing that you're loved by God. And so many Christians, it's like that fight. You know how I was saying, like immediately when that baby came out, the baby was like, Mommy, 
how can I make you love me more? That's asking, Mommy, what's my purpose in life to make you love me more? Right? But if you think about it, when a baby comes out, immediately they cry and they go, right? I'm not going to do it obnoxiously. They cry. And immediately when they come out, the mom just loves on them. Just loves on them. And when I came out, when I came out as a baby, my mom thought I was the cutest baby in the world. All her friends are like, oh. <laughs> they did not think I was that cute. But my mom, she thought I was the most adorable. My dad, like, loved me. And my mom loved me. They thought I was the most adorable, cutest baby in the world. But their friends, they told me afterwards, now they're like, you are not a cute baby. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, whatever, it's okay. <laughs> um, so the babies aren't actually really cute when you weren't really that cute when you came out. They're like a blob, right? But immediately, your parent, your mom held you in her arms and said, oh, she's beautiful. He's beautiful. He's handsome. This is my baby. You know that's God's heart for you? God's heart for you. Immediately when he came out, this is my baby. This is my child. How can I love my baby more? How can I love my baby more? You have nothing. When you come out, when you're born, you have nothing to give back to your parents. All you do for like two years of your life, two, three years of your life is just receive. When you cry, they come to you and they're like, what do you want? You know, when you scream, they're not like, you know, they will spank you because father's love, discipline is love. So they're not going to let you run around because if you do crazy things like that, you're going to get hurt. So they're going to discipline you, right, in love. But your parents won't look at you and be like, I don't love you more now because you did that. I don't love, I love you less because you did this. I love you less. No, your parents don't do that. They look at you, and everything you do is adorable to them. Everything you do is so precious to them. Everything. That is God's love for you, but even more. So many of us, who grew up in the church, and so many of us maybe just, you know, came into the church, or, you know, some of you guys might not even know God. However, you've heard about God. Because, <laughs> I'm going to be truthful, you were made in God's image. So, innately, knowingly or not, you know God. Okay? And so, you just believe that, for so many of us, we believe that God's love had conditions. Though you hear so much about how God's love is unconditional, 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 in your mind you wrote conditional, 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 conditional. And conditional means that there's, you have to do something. There's a limit. But unconditional means limitless. Boundless. Right? It's complete. His love is complete for you. You were created to be loved. And everything you do starts from that place. Everything that you do starts from that place. So this may boggle your mind, but the Christian faith is not a religion. 
Religion says to do's, not to do's. You need to work, 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 and strive, and strive, and strive, and strive in order to get God's love. But Christianity, knowing God, it's a relationship. It is a relationship. And a relationship is about knowing who you are as God's precious child. So now we're going to go into the life of Jesus, okay? And Jesus, seriously, he, we're called to live like Christ, right? We're called to be, become more and more like Christ, right? Yes? Yeah. We're called to be more and more like Christ. We are made in the image of God, and we are adopted as sons through Christ, yeah. right? And so Christ is the greatest example of what it means to really run with the Father's love. What it means to do things knowing that they're loved. In Matthew 3.16, it says this, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let that sink in. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased pleased. But let me tell you this, the baptism of Jesus marked the beginning of his messianic ministry. So the beginning means that he did not do anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't heal the sick. He didn't, you know, um, cast out demons. He did not do anything before he got baptized. But it was at this moment when God said, This is my son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. God was pleased with Jesus before he did anything. This means if we were adopted into the kingdom through Christ, this is the case for us. He looks at you and says, You are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I am well pleased. And for some of you guys, this is going to be so hard to receive because actually, you had to strive for your parents' love. Maybe when you came out, it was you know, different, but as you got older and older and older, you had to strive for your parents' love. They said, if you don't get this grade, you just felt so unloved. It, they didn't have, even have to voice it. You just didn't feel loved by them. You didn't feel cared for by them. They, they, you know, so then you strive and strive to get good grades. Not only that, like, for me, actually, it wasn't my parents that made me strive. My parents, like I said, from the moment I was born, though I was not cute, they loved me. And they think that I'm the best child ever. It was to the point where my dad, he would go, because my parents... They lived in Chicago for like 30 plus years. And so my dad, in particular, his family is pretty well known in Chicago. Okay, so everywhere I go, I look just like my dad, right? And so now I'm slowly like my mom. Jesus. But I, when I, you know, for a good chunk of my life, I look like my dad. And I loved it because I heard, there's a saying in Korean, like, if you look like your dad, you'll be super um, mm-hmm. prosperous. <laughs> you'll be so prosperous. So I was like, you know, I took that in. But at the same time, like, my dad's a really like manly looking figure, and so I was like, I don't look like a man, right? Uh, which I I know I don't. 
Um, but everywhere I'd go, what would happen was I would go to like a grocery shop, and they'd be like, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my, like, oh my, oh my, oh my. I, you would never get lost. And I was like, they're like, you would never get lost. And I'm like, you look just like your dad. You look just like your dad. I could totally take you. And you'd be like, E. Cunho's daughter is this little girl, right? <laughs> Everywhere I went, they knew, right? And so then, um, but not only that, like, like I, that was off tangent. But what happened was my dad, like every single person he met, he would just boast about me. He'd boast about me all the time. It was to the point where I thought he was lying. <laughs> and I got so burdened by it. I was like, Appa, stop it. Because I feel like I'm lying. Like one little award, he would make it seem like it's like the best award ever. And I'm like, Appa, it's not that great. <laughs> chill out, chill out, right? And even my brother, my dad would do the same for my brother. But, you know, now I look at it, I'm like, dang, I didn't like the father's love because of my dad who was so expressive, which is actually really ironic because I know so, for so many of you, your dads actually might have been not as expressive. And this is pretty uh, known in the Korean culture, in the Asian culture, that fathers aren't as expressive. Um, but for me, my dad was, and that was just something that I was blessed with, right? However, the reason why I strive so much my whole life was because my dad's family is really well off. However, my family is not that well off. And so my dad being the youngest, though he was the youngest, my, my family, he has a lot of siblings and their age gap is huge. So I have some aunts that are like 84. Wow. They're older than my grandparents. What? Right? My dad's 60 something. And so all his brothers and sisters, they're actually the, like, they're my mom's parents' age. Really old, right? So my cousins were my mom's age. And so my second cousins, actually, my nieces and nephews were my age. So it was really odd. But my dad was the youngest, and he didn't, they, they had to leave Korea when he was 20, right? So he couldn't fin finish college. He just, he finished high school. He couldn't finish college, and he had to move to America with his family. And so instead of giving him an education, they made him work. So you know what? If you don't, back then, if you didn't have certain degrees, you can't get certain jobs, right? And so... My, my dad's family, they didn't really do much for them, right? But at the same time, um, they frowned upon him. And it's really odd because for yay years of my life, I actually thought my dad's family was like the best family in the world because they were well-known in Chicago. They, they put a facade of, we we're like family-oriented, so we would have like monthly breakfast. But in reality, it wasn't like that at all. And so my goal in life, I strived and strived and strived not for my dad's parents love, but for the love of my uncles and aunts. And it wasn't just for them to love me, I wanted them to love my parents through me, by me doing well, right? And so I strive and strive and strive and strive. But, you know, for us, for some of you guys, I, I said it's my, my dad's side, but for some of you, it could have been your parents. It could have been your father, your mother, or whatnot. And they might have, you might have actually had to strive for their love. But can I tell you this? Do not put that onto God. Because so many of us put that onto God and say, God, you're like this. You said I have to do this and this and this and this and this in order to receive your love. But that's what you said. That's the identity you placed upon God. God is not like that. Because in the word it says God's, God is, he, 
he loves you unconditionally. He adopted you as sons. Because he loved you so much. And God's love is far beyond what you can ever imagine. So, like I said, with Jesus, Jesus was able to do everything out of the overflow of knowing who he was as God's favorite son. He did everything knowing that God was pleased with him before he even did anything. That means that Jesus didn't do anything out of a place of lack. For many of us, we did a thing out of a place of lack. We, we strive and strive and strive and strive and strive in order to receive this final product of love. But for Jesus, he didn't do anything out of a place of lack. Jesus knew who he was. Right? But if you think about the life of Jesus, picture it. Yes, Jesus did do powerful miracles. Jesus, the supernatural was natural in Jesus' life. Jesus cast out, casted out demons. He raised the dead. Jesus did amazing things. Jesus had his 12 disciples whom lo who loved him and whom he loved. However, turn it around. Jesus also had one disciple that rejected him. Jesus also had people, the Pharisees, out to get him. Not everyone loved Jesus. Right? Though Jesus did so many things, not everyone loved Jesus. Jesus was rejected. Not only that, he was shamed. He took the cross, right? And he walked miles and miles and miles sweating, bleeding, hurt, bruised, and, and mocked. Jesus died on the cross by the, the most shameful death you could, most shameful death, right? Jesus died on the cross. However, Jesus never took the place of the rejected one. Jesus knew who he was. So did, he, did you, do you ever hear things about him crying and saying, Oh, like, this person hurt my feelings. And oh, like, God, you don't love me anymore because the Pharisees are mocking me. Oh, do you hear, is there any record of that in the Bible? Jesus had compassion on them. How could you have compassion for someone when they're mocking you, when they're rejecting you, when they're mocking, I already said mocking, mocking, so I, I don't like mocking. <laughs> right? How, how can that be possible? Because Jesus knew his purpose. And it was one to be loved by the Father. And out of the overflow, he had compassion. So many of you guys wonder what your purpose in life is. Right? And what I said right now was your purpose is to be loved by the Father. But you know what? In reality, so many of you guys, your purpose is, is based upon what you have a heart for. Right? And so you'll say... I, you know what, I've been hurt, um, and I've been, 
Uh, I've been hurt by people and rejected by people. So you know what? I have a heart for the rejected. I have a heart for the poor. Because I've also been homeless once. I'm doing extreme cases. Or for me, I'm like, I thought my purpose in life was to help sick children. Because my brother got in a car accident when I was three, when I was five, and I thought it was my fault. So I thought my purpose in life was, my brother's good now, by the way. My brother's super healthy, more than ever. But you know what? From, from age five, actually, until high school, a college sophomore, I thought my purpose was to help children and to um, yeah, share God's love through becoming a doctor. And I am obviously not a doctor. I thought that was my purpose. Right? And so for some of you guys might have a huge heart for a specific nation. Because God was just burning and that's, that's your purpose in life. Don't get me wrong, those are all good things. Those are all great hearts. That's God's heart. However, if it's out of a place of not knowing that you're loved by God, everything you're doing is in vain. Everything you're doing is out of a striving mentality. Because you're not doing it out of the overflow. You're doing it to, to, first of all, let me say, it's actually to make yourself feel better. Ooh. A lot of times, you have heart, to do something for certain people, but it's actually to ease your pain. And if you haven't met the Father and experienced the Father's love, that pain is still there because you haven't given it to the Father. That's why you're going to base everything that you do in life, everything that you study, based upon what you have a heart for. But what you have a heart for needs to be out of the overflow of the Father's heart. That's when it's the most fruitful. That's when it's the most fun. When you do it out of your own compassion, your own heart, you know what? You're going to get drained. And it's going to be out of a striving mentality. And, and also, it's, there's no end to it. There's no end to it. Because you're going to say, you help these people, and all of a sudden you're like, God, but why? Why are they still in pain? Why are they still poor? Why, 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 why? Because you're doing it out of your own strength. Right? But when you do it out of the Father's heart and the Father's love, you're doing it out of the overflow. And you're going to see his love overflow unto them. Yeah. Right? And so for you guys as a student now, God's favor is on you. It says in the, in the passage that we started with, right? It was saying how In accordance with his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Grace is also favor. It's what, what we don't deserve. Right? It's something that we don't deserve. And so grace, he has freely given to you. He has freely, freely given to you. And so everything that you do is out of the Lord's, God's favor. But is that sort of, doesn't that make you relieved? I can breathe now. I'm able to breathe now because I'm like, dang God, I don't have to strive anymore. I don't have to work all night to get, you know, I'm not saying don't study, but I don't have to like pull out my hair in order to get an A, in order to get, you know, a affirmation by my parents because I know that the Father's love is so much more sufficient. It's so much more than that. You know, there's one... Um, 
person in the Bible, one character in the Bible whom I, I love, Joseph. Joseph, right? And my mom always prayed, God, may Tina, may Tehi, that's my great name, marry a man like Joseph. And I'm like, yes! Because Joseph is not only awesome, he's really good looking. <laughs> that's not bad. Not shallow, sorry. <laughs> but you know, Joseph, he's, he, had, he was good looking. Um, but anyways, Joseph, I mean, if, if you look at the life of Joseph from a very young age, he was favored by his father. He was favored by his father. And he actually had a younger brother. But Joseph was a favorite son, right? And Joseph knew who he was as a favorite son. However, his brothers got super, super jealous. So he, they sold him into slavery. Because why? Because Joseph had a dream that they're going to all bow down to him. So honestly, for me, if I was an older sibling too, I wonder if I would have, <laughs> probably would have been like, Oh, who is this kid, right? But Joseph, nonetheless, he was sold into slavery. And when he was in Egypt, Joseph did a lot of, lot of things, right? He started as a slave. And then, I'm not, this is not in the order, but he was, you know, he, he was placed in a high position. Then all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife seduced him. And so then, um, he, he got... You know, it was wrongfully, he was wrongfully accused, but then he went to prison. And then in prison, he had favor again. And in prison, he became one of the prison, like, higher guards. And then he became second in command. Like, there was other, you know, other things that I probably missed. But Joseph, he did a lot of things, right? Joseph did a lot of things. And in every single situation, Joseph identity was not moved because he knew that he was his father's favorite son so everything that Joseph did was out of his spirit of excellence everything he did was like out of excellence he he there was, you know pastor Benjamin put it like he gave us an example of how Joseph even when he scrubbed the floor he would scrub it and squeak it really really clean because he did it out of excellence. Even the smallest thing, Joseph was faithful in the small things because he knew who he was as the favorite son. Yeah. Right? If Joseph didn't know who he was, if Joseph didn't know that he was loved by the father, everything that he, I don't think he would have been in the position that he was at at the end. Because I think he would have been crying and be like, God, woe is me. Why me? Why me? Why do people hate me? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but Joseph was like, no! I know I'm, I'm my father's favorite son. Hi. <laughs> so I'm going to do everything with excellence. And so now this moves on to, right? You knowing who you are will now naturally overflow onto what you do. And when you do things, you will do it out of the spirit of excellence. So for you guys as a student, it's no longer striving and striving because honestly, it's exhausting yeah. if you're striving and striving to get a good grade. But when you know that you're God's favorite daughter and favorite son and you're loved no matter what you do, you'll want to do well. You'll want to do well. And ministry naturally overflows. When God's love 
For you overflowed, you naturally want to overflow that love onto someone else. You'll naturally want to evangelize. You'll naturally want to be like, do you know who God is? You'll naturally go to your parents and just love on your parents. If you know that Father's love for you, you'll naturally forgive. Because you're no longer at a place of lack. When you know the Father's love, you'll naturally get healed of past trauma, of past, you know, trauma. (laughs) Alright? When you are overflowing with the Father's love, and letting the Father love you. And you know that is your purpose. You know that you are created to be loved by the Father. Ah, oh, it's game over. And you know, this simple, there's a small secret. This truth, this fundamental truth is something that the devil wanted to steal from your infancy. So he makes it focus on identity and life, you know, all these things. And then, but if you think about it, for the moment you started becoming insecure and insecure, is when you you knew that you had to strive for someone's love, someone's affection, affirmation. It's when you knew that your identity was no longer based upon how God saw you, but it was based upon how others, how you thought others saw you. But when you're flowing with the Father's love, like I said, the devil, he has no power over you. Because he can't lie to you anymore. He can't be like, you're ugly. Because you're going to be like, no, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He can't say, you you know, you can't do anything. You lack everything. Because it's like, no, I lack nothing. Because if I trust in the Lord, have faith in him, I lack nothing. So you know, those are the identities upon your life. But that, that can only happen when you know that the Father in heaven truly loves you. And that's the only reason you were created. Okay. So now imagine yourself as a kid. Okay. And for so many of us, when we're a kid, like... Like I said, as Christians, immediately we turn to God, what can I do for you? Stuff like that. But if you look at the kid, their their main focus is their father and mother. When they were born, they only know their father and mother. When they were born, they only know how to seek their father and mother. The first word that come out of their mouth is father. Appa, mama, or mommy, daddy. Papa, mama. (sighs) All the languages. (laughs) Mama, papa, right? Those are the first words that come out of their mouth. So the first focus is their father and mother, right, when they're born. And you know, when you're scared, when you're happy, when you're nervous, when you're even, like, cold, when you're a child, what's the first thing you do? You either cry, <laughs> you, like, you cry, like, right? Daddy, or you run straight to your dad. When you're scared, when you're nervous, when you're worrying, like even as a little child, a little tiny thing, a little bug scares you, or you're afraid of the dark, what's the first thing a child does? When even they hear lightning, what's the first thing they do? They run to their parents' bed. For so many of you guys, you haven't been doing that with God. 
You were scared, yet you did not run to him. You were scared and you decided, you know what, I'm going to cover myself with a blanket. Just stay silent. When you felt like you, you know, when you were even happy, because the Father wants to celebrate with you, but you think that God doesn't want to celebrate with you. Because maybe your parents were not as, like, expressive. So then you just kept that shut, too. However, I want you guys to know, God is delighted in you. He celebrates you. He's happy when you're happy. Right? And that's the truth. That is the truth. The truth is, He is there as our Father to run to. So let's run to Him. Let's let His love lavish us. Let His love lavish you. And you know what? There's one thing I want to say for those that it's not just the exchangeness, but those that are here long term. Or those that already heard about the Father's love. You've heard this message over and over and over again. You know what it means to reach for the Father's love. Because there are times you know you're reaching for the Father's love. However, when, when it comes to God's love, you need to wake up every morning and let Him love you. Because if you fail to do that, you're going to feel fear. I'm not establishing that, but I'm saying every morning you need a renewal of your mind. Every morning you have to say, God, thank you for loving me. Every morning. When you start your day off like that, it's fully established for the rest of the day. And you're able to overflow onto others. There's people that's been Christians for so long. And even for me, myself, sometimes I forget to do that unknowingly. And then I feel this huge lack. And all of a sudden, I feel like, God, do you, where are you? Right? So I'm, I'm admitting it myself. There are times when that happens, and God was like, Tina, I was always there. Tina. I'm responsible for you. Tina, I'm taking care of you. Tina, you're my daughter. You're my precious one. I'm so pleased with you. But you have to let him speak that over you. Because sometimes you totally block him off. I want you to close your eyes.